Amen. You may be seated this morning. If you would, you can get your Bibles out. And you, whether you have them on your smart device or you carrying the, the Word of God with you, I invite you to join me as we open up God's Word and get into Scripture. Uh, you can follow along on version. You can follow along on the PowerPoint. But if you'd like, you can turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'll be there for just a little bit. And then a little bit later on, I'm going to go back into the Old Testament and pick up in Numbers 13 and Numbers 14. But I want to say it is so good to see every single one of you. And what a beautiful crowd here on this on this Sunday morning. And I know there's many online uh, that are watching. I try to want to go just give a shout out to everybody that was with us uh, watching online. So online family, we love you and uh, you certainly are valued and you're a big part of what takes place here in our church. For every single one of you that's here on this Sunday morning, may God nurture your soul. May he pour into us. May he renew our minds. Kevin and Kelly, great to have you back with us. Thanks for representing us so well in Washington, D.C. We look forward to you guys sharing with us on, on what all took place was there. But thanks for representing our church and representing it well. If you would, let's go ahead and get into the message this morning. I'm going to continue the series week number two. Think bigger, think better, and think blessed. Statement that I made last week. That which your mind dwells upon is most likely the direction in which your next steps will take you. And I know that together we believe that to be true. On the spiritual side of things, here's what we know. If your thoughts are upon who God is, what he has accomplished in your life, what he is doing in and through your life, if your thoughts are upon his promises and upon his ability to, to do more than you ever thought possible, then we know that you're on a good path. You're headed in a good direction because that means each and every day you're walking with God, your mind's in a healthy place, you're a whole in your entire being, and you're going to walk in the abundant blessings of God. We also know on the flip side of that, if you are focused on all the evil that surrounds, all the deception of Satan all the false narrative that he has placed in our society today and all the chaos in which he flourishes in. If that's where your mind dwells each day, I believe you will lose your footing, your direction, your vision, your purpose, and you will walk outside of that blessing that God wants to place upon your lives. Now, last week I gave you many scriptures that I believe hold true today how it is so important that we have our minds in a healthy place one of those favorite scriptures, Isaiah 26 and 3, I'll read it again. It says, you will guard him and keep him in perfect and constant peace, whose mind, both its inclination and its character, is stayed upon you. Because he commits himself to you, leans on you, and hopes confidently in you. So church, here's what we know as we laid that foundation last week for this series. A mind at peace is powerful and it is productive as you walk each day fulfilling God's purpose and plan for your life. What I want to do this morning as we take this journey together, I want to look at a couple of different stories, a couple of different individuals here. Well, actually a few individuals, but it's two separate stories. The first one is found in 2 Corinthians. It is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. 
I want you to consider his pattern of thought as he writes to the church concerning how Christ has opened up their spiritual eyes, how the veil has been removed, how their minds are open to the things of God and to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and how it is changing their lives. Paul writes from his heart as he writes from a very personal experience. Now, I was just going to pull a couple of verses from this, but as I studied and prayed over it, I just couldn't because it is so powerful, and I believe the entire chapter has to be read before you today. So I want you to go there with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want you to consider Paul, the Apostle Paul, as he continues to share the gospel. He is having much success. I do not want you to think that there's no success here because as he is preaching the gospel, the scriptures tell us many people are hearing, they're believing, they're accepting Christ, their lives are being changed, the communities are being changed. That's why there is such an incredible opposition before him. Because if nobody's life was being changed, there would not be any need for any opposition. But because the truth was being presented, the truth of Jesus Christ, because Paul was standing in that truth, there was always going to be this false narrative trying to drag everybody away from what Christ was wanting to do in their lives. So he encounters much emotionally, mentally, physically, and as he writes, he writes very, from a, very much of a personal experience as he shares with us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 1, he writes to the church, and when it says, therefore, he's talking about their minds being open to the things of God and to the things of Jesus Christ. He says, therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We do not try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God and all who are honest, they know this. Now, if the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They do not understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Now, don't read that as though Satan blinded their minds and they had no choice. They chose not to believe in the gospel. They chose not to stand in the truth. And because they chose to do so, their minds were vulnerable and open to now Satan just having that ability to blind them even further from the truth of who Jesus was. Verse 5, you see, we do not go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, he has made this light shine in our hearts so we can know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves, we're like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and it's not from anything of ourselves. Verse number eight, we are pressed on every side by troubles but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but we're never abandoned by God. We do, we get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death, 
because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. So everything that Paul and the apostles were doing, it was to lift up the name of Jesus, not for their glory, but for his, and for lives to be changed, for lives to be touched by the truth and the power of Jesus Christ. So it says in verse 13, we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith that the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God so I spoke. Powerful, powerful phrase. Every time we read that together, that's the type of faith you and I need within our lives. Verse 14, we know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God is gonna receive more and more glory. That is why he says it again. We never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day, for our present troubles, they are small, they will not last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we now see, the chaos we now see, the darkness, the evil, the lies, the deception, the false narrative, the lack of hope, the anxiety, the fear, the sin, all those things that are working against us now, all those things that we see, all of that will be gone. But the things that we cannot see will last forever. Paul, in writing this letter, writes from that very deep personal experience. He lets us know very clearly Life in Christ was certainly not going to be an easy path, but it was certainly the most rewarding. There's a lot of different paths that you and I can take in life. And for a while, some of them may be a little bit more fun. For a while, some of them may seem like they're a little bit more rewarding. For a while, it may seem like, oh, this is a good way. I, I can really choose any way and everything's going to work out. Can I tell you, for a while and for maybe just a brief moment, it seems like you can take any path and it's going to be rewarding. Can I tell you, the most rewarding path is going to be the path of Jesus Christ. It will always be the better path. It will always be the bigger path, the most blessed path, the path of Jesus Christ. So no matter what the Apostle Paul had to face in his life, he knew that the path of Jesus Christ was the most rewarding. Now, this makes me think about his life just for a moment. I think about all the hardship that he had to face mentally, just emotionally, and even physically. I think about all he had to endure. And I really don't think this thought was there, but just think with me for a moment. It possibly could have been there for a brief moment. If you remember his life, and I know you know it well, before Christ, he was a persecutor of the church. So he had so much misguided zeal. 
We know that he persecuted the believers. He even drugged them into the streets and oversaw as they were being killed. And so we know that there was a lot of hatred. There was a lot of anger that was built up inside of him. This is who he was. But then, of course, Christ changed his life. And now he's completely done a 180 as he's living for Jesus Christ. Just for a moment, a passing moment, there could have been that thought that as he is trying to present a hope and a truth and a life much better than anybody could possibly ever known, that all of his persecutors he could have maybe went back to that hate and that anger and that revenge towards his persecutors. But nowhere in Scripture, nowhere in Scripture do we see that happening. His thoughts also could have led him to maybe just living in fear, maybe just living in anxiety. Now, certainly he could have continued to preach the word of God and he could have been obedient and done what God had asked him to do. But there could have been this fear and this anxiety that was just riding with him each day that was causing him just to hold back a little. But that wasn't the case either. His thoughts could have easily taken him to a place of still doing what God had asked him to do, still trying to live the life, but he could have had a lot of despair and discouragement and depression. I believe you understand where I'm taking you. His thoughts could have certainly zeroed in on the negative around him, but he chose to do just the opposite. How many of you know it would be easy sometime to get sucked in to the false narrative around us, to get sucked into all the chaos and all the arguing and, and being bitter and having all this strife and just have this oppression upon your life, even where you have that fear and that anxiety where you just can't shake it? It would be easy for a lot of people to go that direction. But we learn here from the Apostle Paul, if that's where you put your mind, that's where you're going to go. But you can put your mind elsewhere, and that is you can put it on Jesus Christ. You see, he chose to place his thoughts on something much more, something bigger than the opposition that he faced, something better than the next beating, something far more valuable than what this world had to offer. He placed his thoughts on the eternal truth and the home and the blessings of God. So we learn from the Apostle Paul in a very significant way here, once again, a truth that you already know, but a truth that I want you to walk in. As your pastor, a truth that I want you to grab a hold of, a truth that I want you to embrace each and every day, if there's anything that I can tell you this morning in an influential manner through the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, I want to tell you this. Your thoughts, where you place your mind, is your choice. Yes, I know. I know Satan is the God of these airways. I know he's the God of this culture. And I know there's a lot of negative around you. But where you place your mind, where you place your thoughts, that is always going to be your choice. So think about what I've said here on the PowerPoint. Your thoughts are your choice. Protecting them is the same idea of protecting your family and your home. You do not treat something with such value in a careless manner, but you choose to cherish it, protect, provide, nurture, and love. I don't believe there's anybody here before me or online that if you knew someone was going to try to attack your home or your family, you're going to stand in the middle of that. Because your home is valuable to you. Your family is valuable to you. And you will fight to the death for your family because they are a significant gift of God. Can I tell you, we must treat our minds and the pattern of our thought in the same matter. Because it is in our minds where the spiritual battles are began to be won. 
We cannot be flippant with our thoughts. We cannot wait until we hear a message about our thoughts and say, oh, I need to do that every once in a while. We need to wake up every single day and say, I choose to put my mind on the things of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I have to do that each and every morning. Some mornings it may look a little bit differently. A lot of times it probably looks the same. I may read a whole lot of scripture. I may just read one verse. But what my goal is to do is to put my mind on where Jesus wants me to put my mind. Because if I start out the day that way, it's highly likely that I'm going to make a lot better choices as the day unfolds. It doesn't mean that I might not get it wrong or that I, that I might, you know, certainly I'll get in the way at times and I'll trip over things. But if I put my mind where it's supposed to be, there's a high probability that I'm going to get through that day doing exactly what God wanted me to do. That's how important our thoughts are to us, right? So if I start off the day with Jesus Christ, the beauty of his holiness, his majestic being, his power, his awesomeness, his truth, his grace, and his mercy, and his goodness, and just the way that he wants to pour into us and use us and be this light that's shining in us. If that's where my mind goes, the very first thing, it's hard to get away from that because that is a truth that is alive. That is a truth that is transforming you. But if we don't do that and we choose the other, then it's going to wear down on us. We understand that it's highly important where we choose to place our minds, and we've got to place them on the truth of Jesus. I think back of Philippians chapter 4, verse number 8. It says, fix your thoughts, and it gives us a list of things to put our thoughts upon, and all those things are excellent, and they're worthy of praise, but the very first word is, fix your thought on what is true, on what is true. And can I tell you again, I've used this word a lot this past week and this morning, There is a false narrative all around us. You and I have so much to think about each and every day. And if we begin to unpack those things, there's going to be the obvious. There's going to be the obvious of the election and the political divide. There's going to be the obvious of the coronavirus and the pandemic and where we're at and what that looks like as it continues to unfold. There's going to be the obvious of all the cultural wars that we have before us and all the negative things that we all get to see together, whether we're watching the news or listening to the radio or we're looking on our smart device at whatever news outlet of our choice. It's all going to be before us. And there there are those things that are the obvious. But I know in your own lives, in your own story, in the own thing that's going on, there's also a false narrative being presented to you to try to drag you down and keep you from being who you are in Christ. There's a false narrative that's trying to get you worked up and get you bitter and full of strife and anger so you're not even being careful with who you're angry at. And if you're not careful, you fall into that trap of that false narrative and the next thing you know, you're arguing with close friends and family and brothers and sisters in Christ and you're allowing that foolishness to just just, just keep that circle going unending and unending. That circle just gets bigger and bigger and that false narrative only all of a sudden almost becomes truth. And can I tell you, if you fall into that trap, that's exactly where Satan wants you to be because it'll get you so sidetracked from the truth of Jesus. 
who he is in your life, what he wants to accomplish in your life. It'll sidetrack you from the truth that he wants you to walk in because he wants you to be bold and he wants you to be courageous and he wants you to wave that Christian flag high in the air and say, I stand for Jesus and everything about him. He wants you to stand for his principles and for his morals and for his ways. He wants you to stand for all those things. But if you're not careful, you'll fall into that trap of that false narrative if that's where your mind goes and you'll be ineffective every way around. We've got to put our minds on the things of Christ if we're going to walk in these things and stay in the truth. If you fix your thoughts on Christ, you will have your mind open to the vastness of all of his provision. I don't know about you, but I want to walk in his provision. In the superiority of his power and in the abundance of his blessings, if you choose otherwise, you eventually wear down. You wear down to the heaviness, the burdens, and all the opposition and the false narrative that's before us because it's real and we all know that if we're not careful, we can be vulnerable to that. Now, that's kind of what we learn what I see here from the Apostle Paul. But I really felt led to take you to another place this morning and that's back in the Old Testament to the children of Israel as they are on their journey out of Egypt. And this is a little bit early on. If you were with me last week, you know that we went there and we, we stayed there for quite some time. So if you didn't get to hear that, I encourage you to go back and hear last week's message. But I want to take you to Numbers 13. This records the time when the Lord had Moses to choose 12 leaders, one from each tribe, to explore the promised land, the land of Canaan. In this, what we're going to read, and I'm not going to read the entire story. There's quite a bit there, and I encourage you to go back and look at this. What I want you to see this morning as we focus in on this story there are two distinct thought patterns being presented. So let's look at it together. Numbers 13, verse number one, the Lord speaking to Moses about what he would have him do. The Lord said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I'm giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out 12 men, all tribal leaders of Israel, from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. So he gets them together and he gives them the instruction. Let's look at verse number 17. So Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like. Find out whether the people living there, are they strong, are they weak, are they few, are there many? Tell us what you see. See what kind of land that they live in. Is it good? Is it bad? Do their towns have walls? Are they unprotected like open camps? Which is it? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best even to bring back some of the samples of the crops in which you see. So he gives them the instructions. The men do exactly what Moses had instructed them to do. They come back to the camp and they give a report. Verse 27. This was the report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and indeed, it is a bountiful country. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there, that's a different story. They are powerful, and their towns, they are large, and they are fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. 
the Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites. They all live in the hill country. The Canaanites, they live alongside the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and all along the Jordan Valley. So Moses, yes, the land is fertile, the fruit is good, but there are people everywhere. And those people are strong. And those people are powerful. And those people are large. And those are people that we don't want to mess with. Verse 30. But Caleb... He tries to quiet the people as they stood before Moses, giving us the picture that the crowd is already being worked up. Because as they hear this report being given, they're being worked up. But Caleb says, let's go at once to take the land. We can certainly conquer it. I love this attitude because it takes us back to the scripture we read last week that when they came out of Egypt, they were like an army. So Caleb still remembers, hey, we're like an army. We are God's army. He is with us, his might, his power. He is working in miraculous ways. Hey, if we haven't been stopped yet, God, nothing's going to stop us. God will be with us the entire way. That was his heart. What a moment of faith for him. You'd think there'd at least be one or two that written down here in Scripture saying, way to go, Caleb, I hear you. But the other men who explored the land with him, the other ten, they disagreed. Now, there's nothing wrong with disagreeing. It's just what you decide to do with it and how you try to work that out. They said, we can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. Now, notice what happens. Significant. This is significant. Verse 32. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live in there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshopper, and that's what they thought of us too. Then the whole community, verse 14, the whole community. I'm, I'm still waiting for that one person in the back going, Caleb, Joshua, I hear you. You're not alone. But the whole community began weeping aloud. And every time I've read this personally and before the church, it always grabs my attention. And they cried about it all night. It means they were in an uproar, an uproar all night with this narrative that the 10 gave. Their voices rose up in great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. And here we go again. If we had only died in Egypt, it should have been a t-shirt back then. If we'd only died in Egypt or even in the wilderness, if we'd only died in slavery, if we'd only died in bondage, if we'd only died in defeat, if we'd only died in oppression, if we'd only died in our discouragement, in our despair, if we'd only died back then, it would have been so much better than walking in the promise of God. That's not what it says, but that's what was being said. If we'd only just stayed there and just been the weak-minded people under the oppression of the Egyptians, things would have been a whole lot better there. I could have got my little bit of provision. I could have worked 15-hour days. They could have just put more brick and straw upon me, and I would have at least been alive and just barely breathing, but I would have been there. Boy, doesn't that sound exciting? Someone, break free from that, right? Break free from that mentality. Or even if we just died here in the wilderness... They complain is what the scripture said. Obviously, here's what I want you to see. Two completely different perceptions. 
Now think with me. All 12 men have been on the same journey. All 12 men have witnessed the miraculous power of God up into this point. All 12 men have been walking with Moses. They have been given this incredible leader. God made his presence known to them. God has given to them what the promise is. God has been with them every step of the way. All 12 men were walking in the freedom that God had granted them. All 12 men were walking towards the promise. All 12 men could have settled camp with their families and built new homes and built new places of worship and built new places of commerce and to be able to have their families and raise them in a very blessed and an incredible atmosphere. All 12 men had the same vision before them, but not all 12 men had the same perception. 10 had one, two had another. All 12 men, they saw the same thing, but 10 allowed fear to dictate their train of thought, while Joshua and Caleb allowed their trust in the Lord to be the foundation in which they would build their way of thinking. The majority chose fear and anxiety, while the minority chose to walk in the promise of God. Now, as we continue to read this story, we will find that each perception, each perception had consequences in how the journey was going to unfold for them. Let me keep reading here for just a little bit. Numbers 14, verse number five. It says, then Moses and Aaron, they fell face down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, this is another great moment of faith. If you want to know what it looks like to speak in faith, here's a good illustration. They said, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. I can just hear this big score of music behind them, you know, as they're, as they're saying this. But then it just abruptly ends, and I'm waiting still for that voice. I'm still with you, Caleb and Josh. That was better than the first one. I'm with you. But verse 10, but the whole community, not the scripture doesn't say part of the community, the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb we got to quiet their voice. They're going to get us all killed. They're going to take us to a place that, that's going to be incredibly wicked upon all of us. we got to get rid of these two. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me? Even after all the miraculous signs I have done among them, I will disown them. I will destroy them with a plague. Then I will make you, Moses, into a nation greater and mightier than they are. That's where God was at. Now, God's plan is going to unfold, and God knows what he is doing. He has got to take this moment right here and have Moses get his mind in the right place. So he lets him know how he's feeling. 
Moses does the right thing, and he intercedes for the people. And if you'll continue to read, the scripture will read like this. It'll say that, but God, what will our enemies think if you destroy all of these people? They will say that we have been defeated and that they have won. And so as he intercedes and he gets his mind in the right place, God says, okay, Moses, but here's how it's going to go down. Chapter 14, verse 20. Then the Lord said, I will pardon them as you have requested. But as surely as I live and as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, Not one of these people will ever enter that land, that promise. They have all seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I perform both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again, they've tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. They will never even see the land I swore to give their ancestors. None of those who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. But my servant Caleb, he has a different attitude than the others have. He's remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. Now, obviously, we know what happens to Joshua because he becomes the leader that takes the people into that land. I ask the question as we read this together. Do our thoughts make a difference and help determining our next steps for our lives? Boy, absolutely. If you'll go on and read in that, what you will find is those who were 20 years and older that kept refusing to hear the voice of the Lord, those who were 20 years and older, none of them would enter into that promise, but they would all die in that journey in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, all of them had the same freedom, the same blessing, the same promise that was spoken over them, but they chose to walk into a different path because they chose to listen to the wrong narrative. They put their mind in the wrong place. So let me bring this home here this morning. Bigger, better, and blessed was the possibility for every single one of them but it was only embraced by those who truly placed their complete trust in the Lord. You see, God revealed the promise that they were to see, but for many, they cannot see or think past their fear and their anxiety. Instead of walking in freedom and the promise that was before them, they were bound by fear, and they did what they had been accustomed to doing while they were in captivity. How many of you know that when you just don't know what to do sometimes and your mind's not good in a healthy place, you go back to those old habits? You go back to that thinking that didn't get you nowhere. So their thought, their thought process, they start groaning again, complaining. And as I put in my own words, they're living with the oh, woe is me victim mentality. Instead of saying, God is on my side. God has promised me. God has empowered me. God will see me through. And if God is for me, then there'll be a lot that'll stand against me, but they will not have success. For my God will give me victory in every single step. But instead of saying that, their mind was back in them. Oh, woe is me. Look at all these things that are happening. I can't get my mind in the right place. Pastor, it's just too much. Well, I would say to you, it's time to get your mind in the right place. And it's time to get your mind on Jesus Christ. Get it off of the news. Get it off the false narrative. Get it off all those things that are trying to strike fear into your life. And let the promise and the power of God be what drives you each and every day. 
Now, every single one of the things that we face today are highly important. The election is highly, highly important. Every single person needs to go out and exercise your right to vote. It is highly, highly important. That pandemic is highly, highly important. We've got to figure it out. We've got to get through this. We've got to continue to pray and trust God. But do not allow these things of this world to keep you in a state of oppression or in fear or in anxiety. God's people need to rise above that and put their complete trust in Jesus Christ. Amen. I've heard way too many times the last six months from my Christian brothers and sisters, Pastor, I just have a lot of anxiety that I can't get over. That's not who you are in Christ. I know it's real. I believe it is real. I feel it. You feel it. Anxiety is real. The Apostle Paul talks about the anxiety that he has to overcome in his letters to the church. We know that anxiety is real, but that doesn't mean we walk in it, and that doesn't mean that's where we put our mind at. What we do is say, okay, it's real. I feel it. It's heavy. I'm tired of it. Many of you have said, I'm sick of all of this. I get it. We know what we need to do. Put your mind on Jesus Christ, because Jesus is the one who will take you to a place where you're healthy and whole and able to be able to navigate through these times in the way that he'd have you to. Amen. Put your mind on him. How many today have been given the opportunity every single day of their life to choose something bigger and better and blessed, yet they can't get past their fear and their anxiety or maybe that even that attitude of, oh, woe is me. I want to say it again. That's not who we are in Christ. I'll leave you with this statement. The only fear and negativity that is able to keep us from moving in God's promise is the fear and negativity we choose to allow to do so. God is bigger than any opposition. He's better than any false narrative. And his blessings far outweigh any temporary pleasure of life. Amen. I think back, numbers, I just take my mind there. And I see all the things happening. That's an ancient story, but how relevant it is for us. Those 10 couldn't wait to go get the camp in an uproar. That's the enemy at work. And in our culture today, the enemy strives every day to get us in an uproar. To get us in a place that's not healthy and not whole. Now, every single thing you and I face every day is very real. So we don't walk foolishly, we walk wisely. But we do that by walking in the truth, Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for the truth and the power of your word. Nothing is new under the sun nothing takes you by surprise nothing causes you to tremble in fear but you hold all things together and although we may not be able to see all of the answers and be able to explain all the whys we can certainly step out in faith and we can trust you. So I pray for every one of my family here today 
in person and online. I pray right now over their spiritual pattern of thought. I pray that, Father, Lord God, that their minds are fixed on you and upon your truth. I pray that their minds are being renewed day by day. I pray that they are walking in the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that, Father, Lord God, that they will not get sucked into the false narrative of this world, but, God, they would choose to stand with you upon the foundation of truth. I pray, Father, Lord, over every individual over every family unit, over every home. I pray over their spiritual lives. I pray over their mental health and their emotions. I pray, Father Lord, over their physical being. I know many, God, as they walk in this season, they just allow it to exhaust them. So I pray physically, Father Lord, that you would renew them in Jesus' name. I pray for healing in their bodies. I pray in the name of Jesus, God, for a provision, God, over their homes. I pray over their finances. I pray that, Father, Lord God, that as they trust in you, God, they see the vastness of your provision over them. So I pray here today for each and every one of my family that, Father, Lord God, you be with them. And may they choose every single day to put their minds upon you. And even though we may feel like the minority at times, may we choose to trust in the narrative that is from you. I pray, Father Lord, your blessing, your hand, you're at work in everyone. In Jesus' name, together we say, amen.